Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Uh, second day of the double drop. If you missed it earlier, we released a recap of the Charlotte Hornets game. Um, but as promised, we are doing a second episode. You are aware of that because you're currently listening to it. Um, but if you missed uh, either that recap or part one with the person I'm about to mention, please go check it out. And that person is, of course, the fantastic Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation. He is a basketball writer and editor in addition to a whole lot of draft work. And Alex, yesterday we covered the top three in the draft. Today we get into the best of the rest. Yeah, and certainly a lot of intriguing guys in the lottery for the Knicks to look at. We have Jaden Ivey to talk about in this episode. Benedict Mathurin of Arizona looks like a fantastic potential prospect for the Knicks. Jalen Duran, we talk about some. We talk about A.J. Griffin, who uh, Ricky is actually quite high on. Shaden Sharp, who's sort of the mystery man of this draft that actually isn't in the tournament, but is certainly an intriguing guy to talk about. And Ricky gives who he thinks some of the best prospects could be for the Knicks to draft in this class. So that's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down. This is all about. Back up off the glass. It's good. Becomes infectious. You are Locked On Knicks, and we wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today. And every day we're now available on all podcasting platforms, including, you know this, if you see our beautiful faces and you want to see Ricky's beautiful face in just a second on YouTube. But I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website out there. And without further ado, uh, let's get to it with Ricky O'Donnell talking about Benedict Matherin. Which player outside of the top three did you change your opinion on the most based on the opening weekend? That's a good question. I personally tend not to put too much stock into the tournament because I try to track players from when they're in high school and just get like a multi-year sample of them. So you don't want to put uh, too much into one game. I guess I'd have to look at a list of names really quickly to see if there's anyone who jumps out to me. You know, honestly, like Matherin is just... He's just uh, awesome. That's the next guy we we're going to ask you about. So well, he's just yeah. awesome. I mean, what yeah. more can you say? So uh, he has some limitations as a player too, but it's just like he always rises to the occasion. If I'm taking one player in college basketball just to go into the tournament with, and it's a college basketball tournament, I'm taking Ben Matherin, and he just hit some amazing shots in that game. It seemed like he made plays in every way possible. He had, you know. Big plays as a cutter, big plays as an offensive rebounder, big plays as a pull-up shooter. Uh, He was phenomenal. So coming into this, I had him as number 10 in the class. I really wasn't sure between him and Johnny Davis, though. And I like Matherin's game, but I have questions about him defensively. I think offensively, he's he's awesome. But defensively, I'm just like, you know, where is he going to be? is an NBA level defender. Like, where does he fit in? How bad, like, is he going to be really bad? I don't think he's really bad because he is athletic and he's strong. Uh, but I, I do just wonder about him on the defensive end, but he's such an awesome offensive player that uh, I think 
you know, I, I would move him, probably move him up a little bit from where I had him before the tournament, just because I had him in a similar tier already coming into it. Yeah. So to, to just touch a little more on Matherin, cause he was, he's definitely the guy that caught my eye the most. I don't know how he couldn't. I mean, they were like the last game on TV the other day. So yeah. I feel like everybody that was watching the tournament all day was watching that Arizona game to just kind of like close off their weekend. And, you know, it's just like, Oh my God, this guy is insane. Like <laughs> he's an absolute madman. Um, I had had him pegged as a guy, you know, for the Knicks realistic range of let's say like the ninth to 11th pick. Cause now we'll switch back into realism mode where it's like, all right, the Knicks probably aren't going to move into the top three here. So let's, let's, you know, scale things back a little bit in the realistic scope of things. I thought that he would be a guy that could potentially fit a lot of needs for them. You know, just a, another guy that can, you know, shoot the ball well and kind of create some looks. He rebounds well. He seems like a good fit offensively for the Knicks, you know, to potentially pair next to R.J. Barrett and like Emmanuel Quickly, guys like that. Um, going forward, Randall maybe too, although, I, you know, I think it's becoming increasingly more likely that Randall won't be a super long-term piece for the Knicks uh, based off how things are going right now. But at any rate, do you think, you know, we were just talking about guys that could potentially affect their draft stock one way or another with the tournament. I'm starting to think, I mean, if he continues putting together performances like what he did in the first two games, especially that second game, do you think there's a decent chance that he ends up being sort of that guy that busts through that second tier to sort of become the next guy after like a Jaden Ivey that might be in, in conversation for the fifth or sixth pick and potentially evade a team like the Knicks that would want him? And, you know, if you're the Knicks, do you then say that's fine because there's still a Johnny Davis or something in waiting here? Yeah, I could definitely see him rising. I mean, I had Arizona as my national championship pick in part because I thought that Matherin was just probably him and Ivy are the two best guards in the country. Right. And Johnny Davis has been good, too. But Davis just doesn't have the burst or the shooting that those two guys have. And Matherin's calling card is his shooting. Uh, his shooting numbers dipped a bit this year. He was statistically better as a freshman, but he's also shouldering a way bigger offensive burden this year. I think part of that plays into it. And I believe he's still like 38% from three this year, and he's around 80% from the line. Uh, Matherin's a ridiculously good shooter. I mean, he will dart around screens, catch the ball, square up quickly, rise and fire. The thing that jumps out to me about his – uh, his three-point shooting ability is how high he rises on his jump shots. I mean, you see it on his cuts, too. He's such a good finisher around the basket because he can jump so high. Same thing with offensive rebounding, and uh, both of those skills were on display against TCU, but you see it on the shooting, too. Like he's it, So my biggest concern about Matherin, I guess, is his size. He's listed by Arizona officially at six foot seven. And AJ Griffin is also listed at six foot seven by Duke. And if you look at the two of them, it's like an absolute joke that Ben Matherin is as big as AJ Griffin. I mean, AJ Griffin looks like a monster compared to Matherin. So I'm very interested to see what Matherin's going to actually measure at. Uh, if he, you know, does the combine, goes through all that. I saw something, I think from a few years ago, where he was like six, five and a half or something. So uh, if he was legitimately six, seven, I think that you could make a, a better case for him as the fifth pick. Uh, I would still not be surprised if he ends up going there because such an incredible shooter, such a great cutter. I mean, that's really the most undersold part of his skill set. He's very good at finding creases in the defense. And then when he gets the ball, he's a great finisher because he explodes out of the gym. We saw that against TCU. Uh, 
And then like shortcomings, defense, I don't really know how good he's going to be defensively. To me, that's a pretty big question mark. And then he's not like a great on-ball driver. Uh, He's very much someone who I think is going to have to be like, you know, a, a secondary perimeter guy more so than your main star. But his movement shooting abilities is calling card. And, uh, you know, when you think about guys like him, like, I don't know if do you guys have a good comp for him. Not I can't think of one head. off the top of my head. Yeah, so like, I, was, yeah. I was thinking on this, too. I didn't really have one. But I was like, well, he reminds me a little bit of like Tyler Hero because both are great shooters. They're about the same size. Hero definitely has a little bit more like wiggle is a ball yeah. handler than Matherin does. But Matherin is a significantly more powerful athlete. Uh, And he's like a two-footed leaper. You wonder like how much some of that is going to translate to the NBA when the margins are just smaller for how much time you have to like load up, to jump, to explode towards the basket. Uh, But like, you know, another guy who would come to mind is someone like Kobe White, maybe. Another guy who's similar size, really good shooter. Compare Matherin to Kobe White and Tyler Hero. I mean, he's just a way, way, way more powerful athlete than either of those guys. Now, can his shooting be at that level? I think so. Uh, He was a totally dynamic shooter, is a freshman at Arizona. He killed it at the U19 competition this past summer for Canada, and he's been arguably the best player in the entire country this year for Arizona. So I like Matherin. Question is like, what is he giving you defensively? How much do you have to, you know, sort of put good defensive players around him? Uh, in, In the league, too, like, you know, you'll make those sort of sacrifices for your biggest stars, but your role players are the guys who need to defend, right? So if he's yeah. not going to be like your go-to on-ball creator, which I don't think is a strength of his game, you want to see defensive improvement from him. I think that's the single most important thing for him. Uh, you know, he is such a good athlete and he's like still decently long. I want to say he's like a six, seven wingspan guy. Uh, could he defend point guards in the NBA? Like, could he make that his calling card? where he's playing on ball, you know, on the ball defensively and in sort of like a secondary playmaker role on offense where you're really just utilizing his movement shooting ability. But, uh, you know, to have that shooting, that like a guy who's that level of shooter and such a powerful athlete, it's a pretty rare combination. Uh, So, yeah, I love Matherin. I was a fan of him last year at Arizona. I was really disappointed that he came back. I had him as a top 20 pick in the last draft class, I believe, and, uh, you know, before he made the decision to go back. But, man, there's some guys who going back to college really helps you, and he's a premium example of that because he's going to shoot way up the draft board this year, uh, especially if Arizona can keep winning. The the name I'm thinking of when you're describing him is like almost like a bigger, more athletic Buddy Heald a little bit, which maybe I haven't watched enough of him to know if that's like a great comp or not. But I think there's some value in a guy like that. And to your point, like I, I think of Heald at Oklahoma, and like he only really became like – that guy when he was like we all found out he was a year older later so i guess like 23 or 24 already at oklahoma and like what's matherin is like he's almost 20 now um so like there's presumably there's there's still some upside there and i think on the knicks in particular he'd be a pretty interesting fit because they do have some good options to surround him with on the perimeter particularly like rj barrett and quentin grimes and, and maybe cam reddish if he can take a turn into being a more consistent defender 
All right, guys, we are going to come back and talk more of Ricky's uh, favorite prospects outside of the top three in just a sec. Uh, but first, I wanted to tell you about Bet Online. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. And for all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. And Alex, they are the place I choose to go. Uh, to put a little money down on the NCAA tournament. Um, two games tonight that really interested me right off the bat. Uh, Gonzaga being a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over Arkansas. Arkansas is the top defense in the SEC. Um, I thought Gonzaga was a little sloppy at points against Memphis. I expect that game to be pretty close and come down to the wire. So I would I take Arkansas there. And then Duke being an underdog against Texas Tech. I, I don't even know which way I would go, but that, that certainly stood out to me. Texas Tech, uh, incredible defensively. Duke has obviously been kind of inconsistent this year, sort of a young team. Texas Tech, always very savvy, always very tough. I think that'll be one uh, that I'm looking at one way or the other um, to, to put some money down on. But BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Another name you mentioned uh, over the course of that conversation was Jaden Ivey, who I think, like, just just going off Nick's Twitter, he's he's sort of, like, everyone's favorite guy, but I'm sure that's true for, like, a, a bunch of different teams in the lottery. Yeah. He's, he's, he's just a joy, obviously. Um, but I, I'm curious, um, and, and you could take this any direction you want, because I know some people don't love doing, like, specific player comparisons, but I'm wondering, like, if you if you had a comp for him or, or how you think he translates, like, compared to like some recent guards in the last couple of years, because obviously John Morant is the name, like a lot of people like, like me who, who watch very casually and only see highlights throughout as has been emphasized to me a million times now. Um, he's not a point guard. Um, so maybe that's not a, a perfect comp, but I was, I, I mean, I just, I just enjoyed watching him against Texas. I'm trying to remember, I think it was Ramsey on, on Texas who was, who was guarding him the whole game. Um, and I thought he actually did a really good job on him for the most part. And then Ivy just hits like these two big, like FU threes down the stretch, which isn't even really his calling card as a player. And that kind of got me going like, wow, like this dude, like he has like a, a tiny bit of like that Morant, like FU energy to him, or at least it felt like that again, watching this one time. But I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on maybe like if there's an NBA guy that kind of aligns with how he'll play and fit in the league. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of similarities to Morant, but uh, you took the words out of my mouth. I don't love the comparison to Ja, because I feel like Ja is just like a next-level playmaker, and there's a reason that Purdue has been running a traditional point guard next to Ivy the entire season. I want to see Ivy on the ball, and I think that his future in the NBA might be on the ball. If you listen to the Sam Vecini podcast, he keeps saying that he thinks Ivy's a point guard. Now, he hasn't really played that role at the college level, uh, and you know, point guards, in a sense, seem like they're born more than created, right? Like, if you're like a tweener guy and you're like, ah, if he develops these special passing genes, seems like you're just, you just have it or you don't sometimes, is what I've learned covering the draft for long enough. But Ivy's incredible. I love watching Ivy play. I think that, as I mentioned earlier, it's very possible that we look back at this draft seven, eight years from now and be like, why did he not go number one? Like, what were we, what were we sleeping on here? Uh, he's so long. He's so explosive. The burst just jumps off the screen. Like he is elite NBA burst. And when you got that, you got a chance, right? Where I worry about Ivy is in terms of like his second level, he doesn't really have much of a mid range or floater game. He's not the best passer yet. Sometimes the game seems like it's moving too fast for him. 
But I think as the year has progressed, he's done a much better job changing his tempo, playing at different paces, and really utilizing like when to just hit the gas on that burst and being able to being able to explode to the basket. The big improvement of his game this year is the three-point shot. Uh, I believe he was at like 27% last year as a freshman. And this year, it's totally skyrocketed. He's been uh, at about 36%. So he was at 26% last year, 36% this year. I just pulled up the numbers. Uh, But genuine improvement as a shooter. I mean, he's hit some really deep and difficult threes this year. If you look at a package of Jaden Ivey's shooting highlights – I'm pretty comfortable projecting him to be a good shooter in the league. Purdue uses him a lot like Bradley Beal, where he's running off a bunch of screens, getting the ball in a position to attack downhill. I think that could be a good way to use him in the league too. But if he really wants to take the next step up, uh, I think it's playing more on the ball. And, you know, the, the guy I come back to for him, is not a perfect comparison, but like how about a bigger Donovan Mitchell? Uh, another like super powerful athlete, who can shoot a bit, who's like kind of a 1.5 positionally stuck between a one and a two, not like a next level playmaker, uh, like a spectacular playmaker, I should say, the way that Morant or Trey Young are, but like pretty damn good. And just having a few inches of size that Donovan Mitchell doesn't is going to be, you know, beneficial as well. And then on the defensive end, Purdue's defense has been so bad the whole year that it's easy to discount Ivy's defense. Uh, I saw Mike Schmidt say that his biggest question with Ivy is defensively. That surprised me a little bit, and I trust Mike way more than I trust myself or anyone else. But I think Ivy's defense is pretty awesome. Uh, I think that he's really good at getting around screens. I think he has uh, a, he does a great job to leverage his length defensively in terms of getting into the passing lanes and you know he's someone who could turn defense into offense so quickly when he's able to force a turnover and sprint down the floor so i love ivy i think ivy is really really good uh wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the biggest star in this draft to be honest and yeah it's just like how much do you trust him as a decision maker do you think the three-point shot has been inflated a little bit? Like, do you really think he's this good of a shooter? The shooting's tailed off a bit as the year has gone on. So, like, where are you going to put the shooting projection at? Uh, and then, like, you know, wh- what do you think of him defensively? But in general, I think Ivy Ivy's terrific. Like, he has tools that you just can't teach with his burst, his length, and uh, his explosion around the basket. So I love watching him play, and I hope Purdue can uh, – hate to say it, but I hope Purdue can knock off the Peacocks and can uh, <laughs> Ivy in some big-time games for prospect evaluation because uh, I think any NBA fan is going to see his game and be like, yeah, like this guy's going to work in the league. All right, guys, we'll be right back with Ricky talking about the guys that he thinks the Knicks would be best suited taking in that 9-11 to 11 range, including – one or two names we haven't even talked about yet. So there's a couple couple new surprises still to come at the close of the show here. But first, I got to let you all know about NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. You can connect with a community of hundreds of thousands of NBA fans as a natural progression of fantasy sports and a way to upgrade your experience as an NBA fan. This is really like the future of what being an NBA fan and a collector looks like because it's in part trading cards So you get moments in your top shots. They originate in a pack. So you buy a pack, you get a bunch of moments. But unlike a trading card where it's just a still image on a piece of cardboard, maybe with some foil on it, 
Uh, these are officially licensed NFTs of the greatest moments from NBA history, both recent and in the past. It's also sort of akin to like the stock market for the NBA. Every day, millions of dollars worth of NFTs are traded back and forth between tens of thousands of NBA fans around the world. And there's a bit of a fantasy sports element to it as well. If you're familiar with NBA 2K, think of it like my team, where you're trying to complete sets, trying to you know get your whole team together and get all the pieces to fit into your collection. Uh, there's plenty of great investors in this too. Michael Jordan and Kevin Durant, including Will Smith. There are also a lot of NBA players in the community that sometimes you might even get the opportunity to interact with, like Tyrese Halliburton, Cole Anthony, and Harrison Barnes. And, you know, the common refrain that I hear about NBA Top Shot is, why would I want to buy a highlight and I can just watch it on YouTube? That's true. You can just watch stuff on YouTube, but it's not just about watching a highlight. It's about having ownership stake in it akin to a stock market of the NBA's greatest highlights. So you don't just watch the highlight. You own the highlight of some of your favorite players. I know I made sure to get myself an R.J. Barrett because I wanted to have one in my collection, a Mitchell Robinson, you know, some some of my favorite players on the Knicks. I wanted to make sure that I had that piece. I'm looking to add an Obi Toppin at some point sometime soon. We'll see uh, what I managed to come up with in the Top Shot market. And if you sign up for Top Shot today, the best way to get started is by getting a starter pack. You can pull an NFT of a superstar like LeBron or Kevin Durant or star rookies like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley just for 9 bucks to get rolling. It's really not a huge investment and has potential to pay off big time, you know, because there are some moments that are more rare that you could potentially pull out of a pack that, you know, could make your collection pretty valuable right from the start. So Top Shots moments can also get you access to events and can be used in fantasy mini games on a regular basis. So head to NBATopshot.com today. Check out all that NBA Top Shot has to offer and, and see what you like. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar, which, you know, Built Bars, I feel like NBA Top Shot's new Built Bars. You guys know the drill. You know what Built Bars are. I've only been talking about them forever. They're the best tasting protein bar on the market. They look like a candy bar and they taste like a candy bar, but they don't give you all the guilt of eating a candy bar, like all those calories and the sugar and the fat and all that bad stuff. Built Bars are just tasty with benefits for you they're going to give you tons of protein to help you recover after workouts and you know you don't have to worry about it and feel the guilt like after you ate a candy bar on top of it they have built puffs now which are really fantastic they're one of built bars best tasting bars they're like a chocolate covered marshmallow and yet somehow are not full of sugar even though marshmallows are made of sugar i really don't understand how it works don't ask me the science but the taste speaks for itself it tastes like you're eating a marshmallow covered in chocolate flavored like cinnamon churro or coconut marshmallow or banana cream pie. And yet you're not going to be sitting there going, ugh, what did I just do to my body eating all those calories and fat and everything else? Because it's just going to give you that nice protein boost you need. And only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs per bar. You're not going to beat that anywhere else. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15, and you can get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, as much as I love my my Jersey team, I wouldn't complain at getting to see more Jaden Ivey either. I also was just thinking about it. It's going to be crazy in years to come if, if like Ivy, Matherin, and some of these other sophomores that are coming out this year wind up working out. That like 2020 high school class is going to be looked at as like one of the best in like 
the history of the world <laughs> as far as basketball players are concerned. Yeah. Jaden Ivey was the number 90th player in the yeah. class. So. And Matherin was around there too. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Uh, the, the amount of talent that was in that pool and no wonder some of these guys decided, eh, let's wait another year because I had to go up against all these fantastic players last year just for the right to get drafted. Now these guys wait an extra year and all of a sudden they're, they're this good. Uh, but speaking of guys that are, Maybe waiting, maybe not. Uh, we'll get to the guy I'm going to say first in a second. But like Shaden Sharp is a guy who is, he was initially going to be part of next year's class. Obviously isn't part of this whole March Madness discussion because he's not playing. Didn't end up playing for Kentucky uh, this year, but is going to be eligible for the draft. He's sort of gotten the mystery man label. Yeah. To me, though, the more I think about it, I mean, you mentioned him already. This is the name has come up. AJ Griffin to me, feels sort of like a mystery man in this draft, right? Like he was in high school, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said I watched a ton of him, but from what I've, I've gleaned from talking to people, you know, he was kind of more of an explosive athlete, but had some injuries, you know, and stuff that sort of derailed him a little bit in high school going into college. And now he's sort of settled in as like this lights out shooter, which nobody thought he was going to be like hitting like damn near 50% of his threes and all this other stuff for Duke this year. Uh, he's built sort of like a tweener, you know, where he's like six, six, but he's built like a Mack truck. So you're sort of like, what position is he going to play in the NBA? He also just deals with this crazy amount of inconsistency, which maybe can come from more the scheme and, you know, how, how coach K uses him and stuff, but you know, he'll go from scoring 25 points in one game to scoring five in the next and, you know, just sort of fluctuate between, that like range of being like looking like he could be an elite scorer with like a, a varied scoring package to then being like, Oh, like he barely scored in this game. And I'm not quite sure why. So I would actually say that to me, he's one of the biggest enigmas in this draft, you know, from positionally, from consistency wise, from like what he is versus what he was projected to be. Where do you stand on Griffin? And you know, what's sort of your evaluation on him? Because to me, he's been the, the guy for me is like, a part-time draft person who looks at this stuff mostly when it's time to towards the end of the next season where I'm starting to get into this stuff. And I'm like, what the hell do I even make of this guy? That's projected to be like a top 10 pick that I can't really nail down in any of the senses of, of trying to evaluate a player just on like surface level stuff right now. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it with AJ Griffin is he just hasn't played a ton of basketball. He had knee injuries that took him out of his junior season. His senior season in high school is the pandemic year. He ended up going down to Tampa Bay to be with his dad, Adrian Griffin, who was an assistant coach with the Raptors or is an assistant coach with the Raptors and uh, work with him in Tampa Bay. So uh, he just hasn't played a ton of ball organized ball and then he comes into duke and immediately suffers another setback with a knee injury uh wasn't in the duke rotation to start the year i'm like oh my god is coach k really gonna mothball aj e. e. griffin is like his final act of terror but aj <laughs> e. eventually made it just like undeniable that he had to be on the floor right and when you see him first thing that jumps out is aj e. griffin like he's like built like batman He's just like gigantic. He's like 6'6". Six, six. They list him at 6'6", six, six, 220, but he just looks so much bigger, I think. Like, he is just – he looks like a grown man, even though he's one of the younger players in this class. Uh, so, from a physicality standpoint, you know, size, strength, that's all there. He's an absolute knockdown shooter. 
and you've seen it this year. He was like at 50% for a lot of the year. I think now he's like at 46% or something, but he's a really, really reliable shooter. Uh, so that's the calling card of his game. Uh, he is a pretty good athlete. You'll see it. You know, he had like one cut this year. I forget who Duke was playing, but he he basically made a cut from the right wing, came in and just like dropped a hammer dunk. So there are flashes of that athleticism. And, you know, you just see his build and he should be a great athlete. But he just seems limited by like a lack of flexibility to me. And, you know, part of it could be some of the injuries that he sustained. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. Part of it could just be like how his body is built, but like he's not a very flexible driver and he's not a very good like north south driver. So I think of him as like an off ball wing for sure. Someone who you're going to utilize his shooting ability. Uh, you know, comparing him to Matherin, I've had him above Matherin the entire time because he's bigger. Uh, he's just as good of a shooter. Matherin is probably a little bit more dynamic as a cutter, I think. But then defensively is where I'm just unsure of AJ. Like, AJ should be a really good defensive player. I would bet that he's going to be an above-average NBA defender, but he hasn't really been an above-average defender for Duke. Duke's defense has kind of been shit the entire season, <laughs> uh, especially when teams can pull Mark Williams away from the basket. So, you know, you just wonder, like, why isn't AJ a little bit more impactful defensively at the college level? Uh, I think he can get there in the pros, though. Like, we've seen that before where guys don't always – where they don't – you know, they defend better in the league than they do in college. Uh, ben Simmons would be one example of that, someone who, you know, people were questioning his defense when he came out of LSU, and it's like, okay, he's actually one of the best defensive players in the league. Uh, so, AJ, I, I totally agree with you that he is a little bit of a mystery box – my question with him is where's the defense going to be at and how dynamic is he as a north south driver? Cause like I just don't see it very much from him. He is a very good shooter. He has a strange shooting base. I mean, he'll like almost touch his knees together when he's shooting, if you look at video of him shooting. So that worries me a little bit too, but I would take the gamble on AJ Griffin for sure. I mean, so big, really good shooter, can play off the ball, should be able to hold up defensively, and probably still has some more untapped upside as he continues to like get added experience playing the game. Hopefully he can stay healthy. He went down with, like a, I think, a rolled ankle or something in that MSU game. Uh, I believe he came back in, but, you know, he's, he's going to be an injury red flag, I think, just given uh, all the durability issues he's had over the last two, three years. Uh, but he's a guy I would take a chance on for sure, because you just don't see shooters that dynamic or that big. And you would hope that he's, he'd be able to raise his level of play defensively. Yeah. Um, all right. I guess let's, let's go to shade and sharp then. Um, I, I don't even, the, the question is just like, what, like how, who is he? Why is he, what, what do you expect from him? And how do you evaluate a guy if he does decide to come out this year that just, didn't play college basketball when comparing him in this era to all guys who have played college basketball. Yeah. He was a guy who was not always considered like the number one player in his class. He was very much a late bloomer, had a huge spring on the EYBL. And then everyone started to move him up from like, okay, he's a five star to uh, actually he's the best player in the class. So you look at him, uh, you know, I I'm again, going to be very interested to see like what his measurements are, but I would say he's a six, five, shooting guard 
loves to take a pull up three, very athletic and explosive, but I don't quite think he's at like Anthony Edwards level in terms of being a quick twitch athlete. And I think that he's someone who's going to need a lot of seasoning in terms of like just decision-making and like where to go with the ball. And uh, you know, you can watch some high school EYBL tape and it's just like, it's a different game than how structured college basketball is. And of course it's different from the NBA. So uh, you don't want to like draw too big of conclusions from it, but I, you know, if you're taking Shaden Sharp, I think that you're taking him for his pull-up shooting, you're taking him for his athleticism, and mostly you're taking him as a, as a ball of clay, as someone who you could like sort of mold those physical attributes into a good NBA player over time. I think he's very much a long-term bet. But again, like that level of pull-up shooting and athleticism is pretty rare. He has good size for the perimeter. I don't think he's someone where you like you draft him and you just give him the ball and uh, tell him to sink or swim. Like that's probably not going to work. But if you put him with a good point guard, if you put him with some defensive size around him, uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen enough of Shaden Sharp to think that he's someone who I would potentially gamble on inside of the top 10 or just beyond it. Because really, like as we've been talking about, after the top four, and I would put Jalen Dern at number five, it's pretty wide open, the rest of the lottery. Like I think you could reshuffle the next, 15 guys in pretty much any order based on how you're feeling that day. Some people are going to tell you Keegan Murray's a lock to go number six. Some people see Keegan Murray as a fringe lottery guy. There's going to be a lot of debate, I think, in this draft class outside of the top four. I'll put Duran five. I feel good about that. But, uh, you know, after after him and really after Ivy, it's going to be pretty much open for interpretation, I think. And Sharp's we- as good of a gamble as anyone. Yeah. So, well, so since you brought him up, you know, uh, Dern, I feel like has been an interesting case. I feel like in the, you know, it would be a pretty divisive pick among Knicks fans because I think if the Knicks take Dern, that basically is the bat signal for like where Donald's Mitchell Robinson at this point. Um, but I, I don't think that that would necessarily be a bad move. And I'm, and I, I'm a Mitchell Robinson guy. Like I like, I like Mitch's game and I like, where he's at. And I, you know, I think probably based off what he's going to get paid this year, that the Knicks could probably get him to a contract that I would deem reasonable, you know, from my perspective, but like, I could also see the case for center is one of those positions that you don't want to pay. I feel like until you feel like you're ready to, you know, take the next step because you want to lock up all those, all those more modern NBA positions first, you know, the wings, the guards, you know, the guys that can create shots and whatever. And then maybe you draft that center or, you know, you're finally in that position to extend that guy that you drafted as a rookie at center uh, when you're ready to like actually make the leap to being good. Uh, and that's sort of the finishing piece that you like pay the money and then commit to being an over the tax team for a while or sorry, over the cap team for a while, not necessarily the tax, but what about Duran? you know, really stands out to you. I have had, limited exposure to him. I've started watching him a little more as I'm sort of entertaining that prospect of him potentially being like a Mitch replacement. If the Knicks decide to go that route. Um, I certainly think physically he looks amazing. You know, he looks like he's a grown man already and he's one of the youngest players in the draft. So like, you know, that, that can only get better. Um, But like gameplay wise, I wonder like, how are you feeling about him coming into the league? Do you think that he's going to be a guy that maybe needs a year or two of seasoning? Because I think that most fives do tend to need that anyway. Um, but 
particularly in that game against Gonzaga, I was kind of watching and I'm like, Timmy is like one of those guys that has like NBA levels of guile, even if he's not an NBA level athlete or scorer or anything else. And, you know, there's a reason that he's probably like, despite being one of the better players in college basketball, he's probably like a second round pick at best uh, in the NBA draft. But like he has that sort of the, the, the guile and the moves and the footwork and all that stuff that can perplex, you know, inexperienced big men. And I thought that during, had some moments where he looked good against that, but other moments where I was like, yeah, this is a guy that's going to have a lot of foul outs in his first couple of years in the NBA probably and be in foul trouble a decent amount and maybe isn't a guy that you can necessarily like bank on as being a day one starter. And that then influences to me whether he'd be worth spending like a top five, six, seven pick on versus a, a wing where, you know, maybe they have their issues too, but at least won't be getting played off the floor potentially. So like, I don't know that, that, that's a lot of word salad there, but basically like how do you feel about him and what has you having him so high? Because you're not the only person that we've talked to that has had Duran pretty high on his list. Yeah. I would say like the thing that's impressed me the most about Darren, just to zoom out a little bit is like you mentioned, super physically developed at such a young age. When you see a guy like that, the top of the recruiting rankings and he's listed at six eleven, he's another guy. Like I want to see the tape on Jalen Duran. How tall is he? I bet he's six nine. I bet he's closer to six nine than six eleven. Just eyeballing it. Uh, doesn't have super great height for a center, but very long. Seven five wingspan could even be longer than that. Uh, Pro ready frame from day one. Super jacked. So what jumps out to me is like you have this guy who is just so developed physically. Going up against high school kids, you're like, yeah, well, does he have any game? But his ball skills have been what's really impressed me. Like Memphis really ran a lot of DHO stuff for him. He was very comfortable on the perimeter, uh, dropping passes. So the more I watched Duran, the more I liked him. Now he can't really shoot. So like immediately that's just going to like put a cap on his offense. He does like to take like a face up like 17 footer. I do think that will be part of his game in the NBA. Is it a good shot for the offense is another question. But I think his passing ability is what makes him pretty interesting and just his ability to sort of like direct an offense a little bit uh, while also being a, should potentially be a really good roller. My synergy is down right now, so I can't check his his stats as a roller this year. But, you know, he has the physicality where he should be lob target, big catch radius, uh, you know, be able to play through contact and overpower guys even at a young age at the NBA level because he just does the build for it. Uh, and yeah, like, of course there's always, it's always tricky to take a center because it does seem like there's a lot of good center prospects every year. Do you really want to take a center in the top five, especially one who can't shoot? Like if I'm taking a center, you need to hi, you need to be a plus shooter plus passer. James Wiseman failed both those tests, which is why everyone knew he was going to be a bad pick for the Warriors at number two. Uh, even though, you know, Wiseman will still be a pretty good NBA player, but maybe at some point but in terms of Duran, it's like uh how impactful can he be defensively on the perimeter you know the comparison everyone wanted to make for him was bam Adebayo. someone like bam Adebayo certainly is worth the top five pick even though he's shorter for a center uh and you know just has like some other general limitations not a shooter really but bam's awesome and i think that that is just a good roadmap for Dern to follow. I don't think it's a, a great comparison because Bam is just so comfortable defensively, I think, uh, where he's just like a level above what Dern showed. But 
I, I do think that like if you're going to take him in the top five, it, it's sort of a similar idea of him being comfortable playing with the ball in his hands. You trust him to make decisions as a passer. He's going to be really strong going towards the basket as a roller, as a lob threat. And then defensively, like he'll be able to hold his own on switches. He'll be able to protect the basket a little bit. So that would be the sales pitch on Duran. Uh, yeah, he's really impressed me. Like I was super skeptical of him coming into this season because I figured that he was just someone who won through sheer force at the lower levels. But he is he is more game than I thought he did coming into this year. And really, like as the season progressed, he just showed more and more comfort in terms of uh, his ball skills. So I like Duran. I know I said I got him five, but really I'd probably take AJ Griffin over him. So maybe he's like comfortably at six. Uh, but he's a good prospect too. And you know, it's funny. I feel like I just am glowing about every prospect in this draft. And that tends to happen this time of year. You get a little bit of Stockholm syndrome. Uh, you think everyone's <laughs> terrific, but yeah. you know, I think there's a lot of guys in this draft who like, if there isn't like a clear cut stud, like future first team, all NBA type guy, I don't think that this draft really has that, but I do think there's a lot of guys who are going to be good NBA players, even if they're not like, you know, megastars so uh Duren's another guy who like I don't think he's going to be a megastar in the NBA but I think he can certainly be a top 10 center and if he is one you know you could do worse uh especially outside of the top five in this draft than taking a guy like that this yeah it reminds me a little bit of the 2020 draft in, I was literally draft. about to say that exactly yeah, 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 yeah. I was just going to interject real quick before letting yeah. you ask the next question but I was going to say like I said this to someone the other day I think to to Prez or just in general in one of our like draft chats, you know? And I was like, I, I don't know a ton about this draft yet, but this just reminds me of like 2020 where it's coming on the heels of, you know, in the case 2020, he was coming on the heels of two really star studded drafts with 18 and 19 or, you know, like projected star studded drafts. And then like 2021 people are already saying like, Oh, this is going to be like one of the best drafts of all time, you know? So of course you come on the heels of that and the inclination is going to be like, Oh, the talent isn't as, top tier crazy is those drafts obviously this draft is trash but the more i look at this i'm just like i see a lot of really intriguing nba players even if they're not going to be like all-stars or like yeah and, or whatever you know sorry for knicks fans but the spot you don't <laughs> want to be in this draft to me is like five to 14 which is probably the spot the knicks are most <laughs> likely to be in but there's still some like pretty good guys yeah in that class where uh i can guarantee like one or two of them is going to end up being terrific NBA players just sort of picking out the guy who you think has the best chance to continue to improve. Uh, but you know, the top guys in this draft, I really like the top three, even though I'm not like super high on Jabari. I'm not as high as some people are on Jabari. Like, I don't know, he's six ten and he's a nuclear shooter. So he's pretty good. And he's, you know, solid on the perimeter defensively. Uh, and I like Ivy too. So I am buying the top of this draft class. The middle tier is where it gets tough, but uh, yeah, there, there's definitely some talent in this draft, I think. Yeah, and I think the good news for Knicks fans is, I mean, this front office has shown the ability to um, like pick out a guy that's maybe projected a couple spots lower than where they're picking and and find a way to pick up an asset to go get him. I mean, with Quentin Grimes and Emmanuel Quickly, two picks, they've seemingly absolutely nailed that uh, many people, including uh, both of us, like were sort of like, ah, on draft night. So I could definitely see that happening again. Uh, but I, I guess to that point, and, and to wrap up this show, assuming things do go chalk and the Knicks end up 
somewhere in that nine to 11 range. Uh, who do you think is the ideal prospect for them? And I think it's, it's such a challenging question because the obvious area of need for the Knicks is, is sort of like that classic point guard. And that guy just like, doesn't necessarily really exist, like kind of going through it. Like Kennedy Chandler was almost like the name I came up with that like maybe fits that mold to some extent, but like he's maybe projected to go a bit lower than that. And maybe if the Knicks fall in love with him, like they would trade back a couple spots. But uh, for you, Ricky, um, who who is that guy that you're like, you know what, I, I could see him fitting in well with this Knicks nucleus or or just like he'd be such a value from nine to 11 that they, they just have to go best available at that point. Yeah, so I think that, you know, you could talk yourself into any number of prospects and just like how the Knicks build the rest of the team will, you know, and how the, the player they take develops will ultimately determine how successful they are. But a couple of guys I like. So I think Matherin would be a, a good pick for sure. I think that him and RJ could sort of complement each other's games well. Uh, you know, if RJ's playing with the ball in his hands, Matherin could be someone who's darting around the perimeter looking to get open from three and then cut into open space. Uh, if he's available, I think that he would be a pretty good selection for them. Uh, you were talking about how you like Brandon Clark and Thibel type guys. Well, there's two of those guys in this draft to me. Jeremy Sochan from Baylor uh, just absolutely fills up the box score. So active defensively. Uh, just, you know, not someone who is a finish. He's just such a he's so rough around the edges in terms of his offensive projection. But defensively. He's so versatile. He covers so much ground, very long, very active, plays with great energy. Uh, I would take him in the lottery. If you're picking around 10, I think that he would be someone who you could absolutely take. And then uh, Tari Eason, same thing. Just a maniac on the floor, wants to dunk everything, uh, plays with a super high motor at all times, very aggressive player on both ends of the floor. So, uh, And then, you know, 80% free throw shooter, too. And he, I don't think he started for LSU, but he led the team in scoring. So uh, he's someone, either of those two guys, I think would be really good just to sort of like give the Knicks a little bit more athleticism, length, motor, energy in the front court. Uh, I like Obi Toppin too, but like those guys have opposite strengths of Obi. So, you know, maybe if you're talking about putting two of those guys together, that could be interesting. Just gives you a little bit more lineup versatility. And I think that both of them could potentially develop into pretty good shooters. I mean, Eason shot 36% on low volume this year from three-point range. But, like, you know, if, you, if you're if you that good of a free-throw shooter and if you show enough competence at the college level in terms of being a three-point shooter, I would think, like, a good NBA developmental program can get you going in the right direction. So uh, I like Eason. I like Sochan. And then the two point guards would be Gene Montero, who is a real mystery man because he's from the overtime elite league. You talk to people who are into international scouting and they've loved this kid for years. It's hard to even find numbers for the overtime elite league, but the numbers that have come out, he just like totally dominated the league in terms of scoring assists, steals. Uh, so he really intrigues me because I mean, watch watch tape of him. Uh, he he has a he's a pretty awesome offensive skill set where he's a guard who can pass super fast uh, in terms of being able to force rotations and pretty good pull up mid range shooter. Now, how good of a passer is he? That's sort of probably where you're looking on him. And then I like Kennedy Chandler too. Kennedy Chandler plays much bigger than his size. You know, he's listed I think at six one. Uh, and you would think like, okay, this guy's going to be a dynamic outside shooter. 
He's going to struggle to score around the rim. He's going to struggle on defense. He's actually pretty good as a finisher, and he's way feistier than you would expect on defense. He's not that good of a shooter, and he's not like an elite next-level passer. Uh, but I like Kennedy Chandler, too. Like, I don't think he's going to be a star in the NBA, but I think he's going to be pretty solid. And you probably don't want to take him at 10, but if you were to move back a few spots, uh, I think he would be a good pick, and he would help plenty of teams in this draft. So in terms of who the Knicks' ideal pick would be, I like Eason from LSU. I think that he would just give him some, some activity, some motor, and some defense that the Knicks have sorely lacked this year. Uh, and if Matherin falls, I think Matherin would be a good pick too. Cool. Yeah. Eason's certainly been a guy that I've, I've looked at and, and thought that's a guy I need to do some more homework on. So you've given me some good assignments. You've given us both some good assignments and I'm sure everybody listening as well. Uh, but we, as usual, we came on initially before we started recording and said, Oh yeah, we'll shoot for like 45 minutes. We've gone like an hour 10 with you. So thanks so much for all the time here and all the great discussions and, and evaluations of these players. Obviously, you guys have a lot going on uh, at SB Nation with the tournament going on. So did you have anything in particular that you're working on that you want people to know about? And also just, you know, let everybody know where to find you on online and your socials and all that good stuff. Yeah, we're, I'm just covering the tournament at SB Nation. I'll be at the Sweet 16 in the Elite Eight games in Chicago. The Midwest Regional, not super enticing. We got Miami versus Iowa State. <laughs> Then Providence versus Kansas, but Kansas has got a couple guys from a prospect perspective, uh, and it'll just be great to to be at the NCAA tournament. So I'm looking really, I'm really looking forward to covering that. Uh, don't have anything in particular planned yet that I want to say publicly because still might sort of change my ideas a bit. But you can find it all at espionation.com and on Twitter. I'm at sbn underscore ricky. Cool. Thanks right. so much, Ricky, for popping on. Go ahead, Gav. <laughs> I know. Yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you all, as always, for tuning in to Locked on Knicks. Uh, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts on any possible platform. And we are now on YouTube. So check us out. Check out Ricky's smiling face. His fantastic beanie. You, you don't want to miss it on YouTube. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Until then, be good. Peace out.